When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Law School of America. The Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, FRCP, govern civil procedure in United States District Courts. The FRCP are promulgated by the United States Supreme Court pursuant to the Rules Enabling Act, and then the United States Congress has seven months to veto the rules promulgated or they become part of the FRCP. The Court's modifications to the rules are usually based upon recommendations from the Judicial Conference of the United States, the federal judiciary's internal policymaking body. Although federal courts are required to apply the substantive law of the states as rules of decision in cases where state law is in question, the federal courts almost always use the FRCP as their rules of civil procedure. States may determine their own rules, which apply in state courts, although 35 of the 50 states have adopted rules that are based on the FRCP. History. The rules, established in 1938, replaced the earlier procedures under the Federal Equity Rules and the Conformity Act, 1934 merging the procedure for cases, in law and equity. The Conformity Act required that procedures in suits at law conform to state practice, usually the field code or a pleading system based on common law. Before the FRCP were established, common law pleading was more formal, traditional, and particular in its phrases and requirements. For example, a plaintiff bringing a trespass suit would have to mention certain keywords in his complaint or risk having it dismissed with prejudice. In contrast, the FRCP is based upon a legal construction called notice pleading, which is less formal, is created and modified by legal experts, and is far less technical in requirements. In notice pleading, the same plaintiff bringing suit would not face dismissal for lack of the exact legal term, as long as the claim itself was legally actionable. The policy behind this change is to simply give notice of grievances and to leave the details for later in the case. This acts in the interest of equity by concentrating on the actual law rather than the exact construction of pleas. The Field Code, which was adopted between 1848 and 1850, was an intermediate step between common law and modern rules, created by New York attorney David Dudley Field. The Field Code was partially inspired by civil law systems in Europe and Louisiana, and among other reforms, merged law and equity proceedings. Significant revisions have been made to the FRCP in 1948, 1963, 1966, 1970, 1980, 1983, 1987, 1993, 2000, and 2006. The FRCP contains a notes section that details the changes of each revision since 1938, explaining the rationale behind the language. The revisions that took effect in December 2006 made practical changes to discovery rules to make it easier for courts and litigating parties to manage electronic records. The 1966 amendments to the FRCP unified the civil and admiralty procedure, and added the supplemental rules for certain admiralty and maritime claims, now supplemental rules for admiralty or maritime claims and asset forfeiture actions. The FRCP were rewritten with respect to style, effective December 1, 2007, under the leadership of law professor and editor of Black's Law Dictionary Brian A. Garner, for the avowed purpose of making them easier to understand. The style amendments were not intended to make substantive changes in the rules. Effective December 1, 2009, substantial amendments were made to Rules 6, 12, 13, 14, 15, 23, 27, 32, 38, 48, 50, 52, 
53, 54, 55, 56, 59, 62, 65, 68, 71.1, 72 and 81. While rules 48 and 62.1 were added. Rule 1F was abrogated. The majority of the amendments affect various timing requirements and change how some deadlines are calculated. The most significant changes are to Rule 6. The FRCP does not apply to civil actions centralized into multi-district litigations, MDLs, which have grown from a small minority of federal civil cases to the majority of them. At the end of 2018, for the first time ever, more than half of all pending federal civil actions had been centralized into MDLs. In other words, over half of all federal civil actions were not actually being litigated under the FRCP, but under ad hoc procedures crafted by federal district judges to manage complex civil litigation. In response to these developments, many attorneys representing both plaintiffs and defendants have argued that the FRCP should be amended to expressly address the unique requirements of MDLs. Titles of Rules There are 86 rules in the FRCP, which are grouped into 11 titles. Listed below are the most commonly used categories and rules. Title I, Scope of the FRCP. Rules 1 and 2. Title I is a sort of mission statement for the FRCP. Rule 1 states that the rules shall be construed and administered to secure the just, speedy, and inexpensive determination of every action. Rule 2 unifies the procedure of law and equity in the federal courts by specifying that there shall be one form of action, the civil action. Title 2, Commencement of Suits. Rules 3-6. Title II covers commencement of civil suits and includes filing, summons, and service of process. Rule III provides that a civil action is commenced by filing a complaint with the court. Rule IV deals with procedure for issuance of a summons, when the complaint is filed, and for the service of the summons and complaint on the defendants. Rule V requires that all papers in an action be served on all parties and be filed with the court. Rule VI deals with technical issues, which concern the computation of time and authorizes the courts to extend certain deadlines in appropriate circumstances. Title III, Pleadings and Motions. Rules 7-16. Title III covers pleadings, motions, defenses, and counterclaims. The plaintiff's original pleading is called a complaint. The defendant's original pleading is called an answer. Rule 8a sets out the plaintiff's requirements for a claim, a short and plain statement of jurisdiction, a short and plain statement of the claim, and a demand for judgment. It also allows relief in the alternative, so the plaintiff does not have to pre-guess the remedy most likely to be accepted by the court. Rule 8b states that the defendant's answer must admit or deny every element of the plaintiff's claim. Rule 8c requires that the defendant's answer must state any affirmative defenses. Rule 8d maintains that each allegation be simple, concise, and direct but allows two or more statements of a claim or defense alternatively or hypothetically. If a party makes alternative statements, the pleading is sufficient if any one of them is sufficient. A party may state inconsistent, even mutually exclusive, claims or defenses. In addition to notice pleading, a minority of states, for example, California, use an intermediate system known as code pleading, which is a system older than notice pleading and which is based upon legislative statute. It tends to straddle the gulf between obsolete common law pleading and modern notice pleading. Code pleading places additional burdens on a party to plead the ultimate facts of its case, laying out the party's entire case and the facts or allegations underlying it. Notice pleading, by contrast, simply requires a short and plain statement showing only that the pleader is entitled to relief. FRCP 8A, 2. One important exception to this rule is that, when a party alleges fraud, it must plead the facts of the alleged fraud with particularity. FRCP 9B. Rule 10 describes what information should be in the caption, the front page, 
of a pleading but does not explain how such information should actually be organized in the caption. The FRCP is notoriously vague on how papers should be formatted. Most of the details missing from the FRCP are to be found in local rules promulgated by each district court and in general orders by each individual federal judge. For example, federal courts in most West Coast states require line numbers on the left margin on all filings, to match local practice in the courts of the states in which they sit, but most other federal courts do not. Rule 11 requires all papers to be signed by the attorney, if the party is represented. It also provides for sanctions against the attorney or client for harassment, frivolous arguments, or a lack of factual investigation. The purpose of sanctions is deterrent, not punitive. Courts have broad discretion about the exact nature of the sanction, which can include consent to in personam jurisdiction, fines, dismissal of claims, or dismissal of the entire case. The current version of Rule 11 is much more lenient than its 1983 version. Supporters of tort reform and Congress regularly call for legislation to make Rule 11 stricter. Rule 12b describes pretrial motions that can be filed. 1. Lack of subject matter jurisdiction. 2. Lack of personal jurisdiction. 3. Improper venue. 4. Insufficient process. 5. Insufficient service of process. 6. Failure to state a claim upon which relief can be granted, and 7. Failure to join a party under Rule 19. The Rule 12b, 6, motion, which replaced the common law demurrer, is how lawsuits with insufficient legal theories underlying their cause of action are dismissed from court. For example, assault requires intent, so if the plaintiff has failed to plead intent, the defense can seek dismissal by filing a 12b, 6, motion. While a complaint attacked by a Rule 12b, 6, Motion to dismiss does not need detailed factual allegations. A plaintiff's obligation to provide the grounds of his entitlement to relief requires more than labels and conclusions, and a formulaic recitation of the elements of a cause of action will not do. Factual allegations must be enough to raise a right to relief above the speculative level, on the assumption that all the allegations in the complaint are true, even if doubtful in fact. Bell Atlantic Corporation v. Twombly, 1955, No. 05-1126, 2007. 12b. 6. Is the second of three procedural hurdles a cause of action must surmount before it gets to a trial. The first are the two jurisdictional dismissals, found in 12, b1, and, 2, and the third is summary judgment, found in Rule 56. A 12b, 6, motion cannot include additional evidence such as affidavits. To dispose of claims with insufficient factual basis, where the movement must submit additional facts to demonstrate the factual weakness in the plaintiff's case, a Rule 56 motion for summary judgment is used. Rules 12g and 12h are also important because they state that if 12b, 2, through 12b, 5, motions are not properly bundled together or included in an answer-slash-allowable amendment to an answer, they are waived. Additionally, because 12b, 1, motions are so fundamental, they may never be waived throughout the course of litigation, and 12b, 6, and 12b, 7, motions may be filed at any time until trial ends. Rule 13 describes when a defendant is allowed or required to assert claims against other parties to the suit, joinder. The law encourages people to resolve all their differences as efficiently as possible. Consequently, in many jurisdictions, counterclaims, claims against an opposing party, that arise out of the same transaction or occurrence, compulsory counterclaims, must be brought during the original suit, or they will be barred from future litigation, preclusion. Any counterclaims may be brought, even if they are not compulsory, permissive counterclaims, however a cross-claim, claims against a coparty, while not compulsory, 
must arise out of the same transaction or occurrence of the original suit or a counterclaim, or it must relate to the property in the original suit. Rule 14 allows parties to bring in other third parties to a lawsuit. Rule 15 allows pleadings to be amended or supplemented. Plaintiffs may amend once before an answer is filed, a defendant can amend once within 21 days of serving an answer, and if there is no right to amend, seek leave of court, leave shall be given when justice so requires. Title 4, Parties. Rules 17-25. Rule 17 states that all actions must be prosecuted in the name of the real party in interest, that is, the plaintiff must be a person or entity whose rights are at issue in the case. Rule 18, Joinder of Claims and Remedies, states that a plaintiff who may plead in a single civil action has as many claims as the plaintiff has against a defendant, even if the claims are not related, and may request any remedy to which the law entitles the plaintiff. Of course, each claim must have its own basis for jurisdiction in the court in which it is brought or be subject to dismissal. Rule 19, Compulsory Joinder of Parties, if a person who is not a party to the suit is necessary to just adjudication of the action, under the criteria set forth in subsection, a, then upon motion of any party that person shall be made a party, served with suit, and required to participate in the action. If the person cannot be made a party for any reason, such as lack of jurisdiction, inability to be located, etc., then the court uses the criteria in subsection, b, to determine if the absent party is indispensable. If so, the action must be dismissed. Rule 20 Permissive Joinder of Parties Joinder of parties at common law was controlled by the substantive rules of law, often as reflected in the forms of action, rather than by notions of judicial economy and trial convenience. Permissive joinder of plaintiffs allows the plaintiffs having an option to join their claims when they were not joined. Ryder v. Jefferson Hotel Company Rule 22 governs the procedure for interpleader. It allows an interpleader to be brought by a plaintiff who is subject to multiple liability even though one. The claims are title they are based on lack common origin, are independent and averse in two. The plaintiff denies any of the claims in whole or part. A defendant exposed to similar liability may also seek interpleader. Rule 23 governs the procedure for class action litigation. In a class action, a single plaintiff or small group of plaintiffs seeks to proceed on behalf of an entire class who have been harmed by the same conduct by the same defendants. Court approval is required for this procedure to be used. Rule 23.1 governs derivative suits in which a plaintiff seeks to assert a right belonging to a corporation, or similar entity, in which the plaintiff is a shareholder, on behalf of the corporation that is not pursuing the claim itself. Rule 23.2 governs actions by or against unincorporated associations. The Law School of America. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation Incorporated under a Creative Commons Attribution, Share Alike License. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America.